Our passage for this morning comes from Joshua chapter 24. We're looking at verses 14 through 28. Uh, That can be found on the screen behind me. If you'd like to follow along in a pew Bible, page number 234 to 235. And again, that's Joshua chapter 24, 14 to 28. Hear the word of the Lord. Joshua speaks to the elders and the people of Israel, and he says, Now therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord... Choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your fathers served in the region beyond the river, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Then the people answered, Far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods, for it is the Lord our God, who brought us and our fathers up from the land of Egypt out of the house of slavery and who did those great signs in our sight and preserved us in all the way that we went and among all the peoples through whom we passed. And the Lord drove out before us all the peoples, the Amorites who lived in the land. Therefore, we also will serve the Lord for he is our God. But Joshua said to the people, you are not able to serve the Lord. For he is a holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgressions or your sins. If you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, then he will turn and do you harm and consume you after having done you good. And the people said to Joshua, no, but we will serve the Lord. Then Joshua said to the people, you are witnesses against yourselves that you have chosen the Lord to serve him. And they said, we are witnesses. He said, then put away the foreign gods that are among you and incline your heart to the Lord, the God of Israel. And the people said to Joshua, the Lord, our God, we will serve and his voice we will obey. So Joshua made a covenant with the people that day and put in place statutes and rules for them at Shechem. And Joshua wrote these words in the book of the law of God, and he took a large stone and set it up there under the terebinth that was by the sanctuary of the Lord. And Joshua said to all the people, behold, this stone shall be a witness against us, for it has heard all the words of the Lord that he spoke to us. Therefore, it shall be a witness against you, lest you deal falsely with your God. So Joshua sent the people away, every man to his inheritance. This is the word of the Lord. Well, with two sermons remaining, uh, Pastor Dave laid them out to me in this way. He said, I'd like you to preach a charge to the congregation one Sunday. And then the other Sunday, I'd like you to preach a blessing. And so today is the charge. And what a charge is really is it's an opportunity for a leader to lay before people 
those things that are of utmost importance. And for those of you who've known me these last six years, uh, many of the things that I say this morning will sound familiar, uh, but my prayer is, is that they will be heard with fresh ears. Um, the choice that I made to choose the book of Joshua The reason that I chose Joshua is because this charge that Joshua gives here at the end of the book of Joshua is a charge that I think is perfect to build the charge on that I would like to make to Escalon Christian Reformed Church. The other reason that I chose the book of Joshua is you just, it just so happens that the men and women's Bible studies are studying the book of Joshua this year. And so I think two things. One, this provides an opportunity for me to lay out sort of where this book is going as you study it. And then it's also an opportunity for me to encourage those of you who are considering whether or not you ought to participate in the men's and women's Bible studies this year uh, to go ahead and do that. Now, some of you, it doesn't work simply because of uh, you have a lot going on in your lives. But for others of you who may be on the fence, my encouragement is to go shoulder to shoulder with other men and other women who know and love the Lord and to grow in the grace and the knowledge of God together. And so Joshua, he is a great leader. He was the one who took over after Moses. Moses was the one who led the people out of Egypt and through the promise or through the desert brought them to the doorstep of the promised land, and then Moses handed off that leadership to Joshua. And Joshua was the one who led the people into the promised land. He did great miracles. God performed them through Joshua of parting the Jordan River so that Joshua could lead the people across on dry land. Joshua was the one who led them as they defeated Jericho, as they watched the walls fall down miraculously. And then Joshua also uh, was there when the sun was stopped in the sky so that the people had a few more hours so they could defeat the Amorites. But Joshua wasn't just a great religious leader or or a great um, battle leader. He was also a great religious leader. Joshua made sure that every male in Israel was circumcised before they entered the promised land. Something you think they would have remembered to do since God had literally just given them that again through Moses. He uh, served the Passover meal before they entered the promised land. And then he restored the covenant with them as well. Before they entered the promised land and once again here at the end of his life. And so Joshua is this great and mighty leader And the things that God performed through him were so great that he's able to say, if we look back and keep your Bibles open, by the way, I'm not going to have any slides this morning. If you look back in chapter 23, verse 14, uh, Joshua was able to say to them, here, I'll wait for you all to get your Bibles open back up. I'm sure it's quite a shock that my last two sermons here, I have no slides, but that's okay. Uh, Chapter 23, verse 14, about halfway through the verse, Joshua tells the leaders, not one word has failed of all the good things that the Lord your God promised concerning you. All have come to pass for you. Not one of them has failed. If you look now again at verse 1 of chapter 24, 
it says that Joshua gathered all the tribes of Israel at Shechem. And Shechem is a really interesting place because Shechem is the place that God brought Abraham. And he said to Abraham, all of this land I will give to you. And here Joshua is at Shechem with all the people of Israel. And he's saying to them, all of this land is now yours. God has fulfilled all of the promises that he made to you. You are now a great nation and you now have conquered the entire promised land. Now they haven't defeated every inhabitant of the promised land, which is a problem. But at this point, God's promises have all come true. And don't we have the same testimony? Can't we all look back and see all those times and all those moments that God has preserved our faith when we had doubts, when we had struggles, when we went through trials? Can we all look back and see all of the amazing ways that God has been faithful to us? Ways that we never could have imagined how he's come through for us and showed us his love in real and powerful and tangible ways. This church, Escalon CRC, is a church that is immensely blessed. His faithfulness to this church is truly off the charts. I have been a recipient of his grace that he's poured out on this church by being a part of it. Um, this is a church that has true believers. Many, many people who know and love the Lord. This is a church that, that witnesses 20 to 25 baptisms every single year. And has for the years before I got here, all six years that I've been here, and I don't see it stopping anytime soon. This is a church where the true gospel of Jesus Christ is preached every single Sunday. This is a church that has strong biblical leadership. And this is a church that loves one another. Well, Jesus says that uh, the world will know his people by the way that they love one another. And the world knows that Christians exist in Escalon by the way that this church loves one another. Anne and I have been uh, recipients of God's love through you more times than we can count. And I'm sure many of you have the same testimony. But all of that, all of those wonderful blessings, that's the grace of God. There's nobody in this room who can say, I'm responsible for that. We're all recipients of it. If you look again, verse 24, 1 through 13, which we didn't read, uh, this is the way God frames all of the blessings that he poured out on Israel from the time of Abraham until this current day, right? Look at verse 3. He says, Then I took your father Abraham from beyond the river, and led him through all the land of Canaan. Verse four. And to Isaac, I gave Jacob and Esau. And I gave Esau the hill. Further down in verse four. And oh, sorry, verse five. And I sent Moses and Aaron. And I plagued Egypt. Verse six. Then I brought your fathers out of Egypt. And he goes on and on like that. God is letting them know. That all the blessings that they have. They have received as pure grace from his fatherly hand. Then I think if God were to recount all the blessings to Escalon CRC, this is what he would say. I caused there to be 
many, many true believers among you. I am the one who gave you 20 to 25 children for baptism every year. I am the one who causes the true gospel to be preached from this pulpit every Sunday. I am the one who raised up true biblical leadership for your congregation. And I am the one who caused you to love one another. That's the kind of God we serve. And so then in our passage, Joshua says, now, therefore, now, therefore, given all that the Lord has done for you. Fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and faithfulness. Put away the gods that your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. See, anytime God gives a charge to his people, he always does so on the basis of all of the immense grace that he has shown them. Because he wants them to know that the only reasonable response to all of that grace is for them to, in gratitude, fear him, recognize that he is holy, and that he must be served, and then to do so in sincerity and faithfulness. Don't pretend to be something that you're not. Don't Don't pretend that the sins that are gripping you aren't gripping you. And serve him in faithfulness. Live a life that's worthy of the calling that you have received from him. And put away the gods. Notice he doesn't say, don't take the gods out again. He says, put them away. That that means at this point in time, Even after everything that God had done for these people, they still had the foreign gods among them. And we do too. We do too. We're still fighting our battle with materialism, putting our hope in money and possessions. Every single one of us struggles every day with the comforts of this life. I was driving to Modesto the other day, thinking about what's going on in Afghanistan and the fires. And I thought, I'm in my air-conditioned truck driving to Modesto. I like that. It's very comfortable for me. And Joshua goes on in verse 15, and he says, And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods your father served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. See, the reason he says, and if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord is because he wants us to recognize that there's only two options. There's only two options. We're either serving the Lord and fearing him in sincerity and faithfulness. Or the reality of the fact is we have to admit to ourselves it's actually evil in our sight to serve him. There's no in between. There's no middle ground where we think to ourselves that all of my dealings with God are sorted out in the past because I was baptized and because, you know, I I believe that Jesus died on the cross for sinners. And so now my life, I largely live for myself and myself alone. And I, I give God a little bit of my money and a little bit of my time here and there. But the reality of the fact is that my life is completely consumed 
by the pleasures of this world and the pursuits that stir my heart and my desires. Well, that's not the Christian life. The Christian life is fearing the Lord and serving him in sincerity and faithfulness. So Joshua says to them, if it's evil in your sight to serve him, which is the only other alternative to fearing him and serving him in sincerity and faithfulness, if it's evil in your sight to serve him, well, then choose who you are going to serve. Whether it's the gods your forefathers worshipped or whether it's the Amorites who are here now. If you want materialism, have materialism. If you want alcohol, have alcohol. If you want sex, have it. Choose it. Because you're going to serve something. You're going to serve something. Right? We're either slaves to sin or we're slaves to righteousness. There's no in between. So choose. Who are you going to serve? If it's not God, pick one of these other gods. But as for me and my house, Joshua says, we are going to serve the Lord. And so the people feel like you and I always feel when we hear a sermon like what I just said. We think, well, I want to serve the Lord. I don't want to be the person who has to admit to myself that it's really evil in my eyes to serve the Lord. I don't like that. I want to serve the Lord. And so this is what they say. Look at verse 16. It says, then the people answered, far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. For it is the Lord, our God, who brought us and our fathers up from the land of Egypt out of the house of slavery and who did those great signs in our sight and preserved us in all the way that we went and among all the peoples through whom we passed. And the Lord drove out before us all the peoples, the Amorites who lived in the land. Therefore, we also will serve the Lord for he is our God. They know everything that God has done. They know all the grace that's been poured out on them, just like you and I know all the ways that God has been so immensely and powerfully and amazingly off the charts gracious to us. And when we hear the high call of holiness that is required of somebody who's been given all that grace, our natural response is to say, yes, I want to serve that God. I want to serve him. I don't want to be somebody who, who truly lives as if it's evil in my eyes to serve that God. How many times have we sung, uh, what is it? I surrender all, right? All to Jesus, I surrender. All to him, I freely give. I will ever love and trust him in his presence daily live. All to Jesus, I surrender. Humbly at his feet, I bow. Worldly treasures all forsaken. Take me, Jesus. Take me now. I bet you there's people here who have sung that song with tears streaming down our faces. But have you forsaken all worldly pleasures? Have you? I haven't. Have you freely given all to Jesus? I mean all. <laughs> Friends, I have not. I want to. When I sing that song, I want to. When I hear, read these words, I want to. I, I, I agree with what the Israelites are feeling right here. But, but when, we're, when we're in that moment, we're just like Peter. We're just like Peter on the night that Jesus was crucified and taken and arrested. Jesus tells him, you're going to deny me three times. And Peter says, no, I'm not, Jesus. Not a chance. If, if you go and you're taken and you're arrested and you die, I'm going to die right there. I'm gonna, I will die for you, Jesus. And Jesus looks at Peter and says, you are going to die for me? Because somebody was going to die for somebody that night. And it certainly wasn't Peter. 
And so what Peter had to do is he had to experience himself denying Jesus to know just how wicked he really is. He had, he had to experience himself going from this mountaintop of sincerity into the depths of denying the Son of God to have his heart ripped open and his sin shown to him. How is God showing you your sin right now? What are the things in your life that take you from the all to him I surrender to, wow, look at the reality of my life. Because God is trying to show us He's trying to show us that we can't do it. Which is why Joshua goes on and says to the people in verse 19. You're not able to serve the Lord. (laughs) For he is a holy God. He is a jealous God. And he will not forgive your transgressions or your sins. You see, God is too holy. He's too holy for us to serve him. If you want to serve God, you have to be holy as he is holy. He's too jealous to let people say that they're his servants and to live their lives with their hearts running after money, sex, and pleasure. He's too jealous for that. Just like you want the people that are committed to you to be committed to you. And you're jealous for them to be committed to you. That's how God is. And then he says, and he will not forgive your transgressions or your sins. Why? Because he can't. He's too holy. Just like you would be upset if a judge let off a murderer, how much more unrighteous would it be for someone who is the creator of all things and the owner of all things to let one bit of rebellion against him go undealt with? Now I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, didn't, didn't Joshua just tell them that they were supposed to serve him? And now he's telling them that they can't? Because that doesn't make any sense. How do, we, how do we sort that one out? Verse 20, Joshua goes on and he says, If you forsake the Lord... And serve foreign gods, then he will turn and do you harm and consume you after having done you good. So it gets even worse. He's shown you all this grace. But if you don't serve him, if you don't respond in the proper way to all the grace that he's he's shown you, he's going to turn and do you harm after having done you good. But wait a minute. Wait a minute. You just said that I'm not able to serve him. That's what the Israelites should have said. They should have said, wait a minute, Joshua, wait a minute. I agree with you. God has shown us so much grace. I really do want to serve him. That's, that's like everything in me. Everything that my heart desires is to, is to serve this God who's, who's shown me all this wonderful grace. I don't want to be somebody who it's evil in their sight to serve this God. And, and yet you just told me that, that I'm not able to. But now you're saying that if I don't, he's going to tur- turn and do me harm and consume me. Well, what am I supposed to do, Joshua. Help me out here. But that's not what they say. Look at verse 21. 
And the people said to Joshua, no, but we will serve the Lord. We got it. No big deal. Thanks for the pep talk. Now, we can forgive them, I think, for being so naive and for not really listening to the words that Joshua said. And the reason that we can forgive them is because they had never known a moment in their life without somebody standing between them and God. For those that were alive in the wilderness when Moses was still in charge, Moses was the one who stood between them and God. And ever since they've been in the land, Joshua has been there standing between them and God and mediating this relationship between sinful people and a holy God. Joshua was the one performing miracles, or God was through Joshua. Joshua was the one who was reminding them of what it was to serve this God and how to, how to live into the covenant, to be circumcised, to celebrate Passover. He was the one reminding them of all the grace that God had shown them and what was their you know, necessary obligation to all that grace. But Joshua was about to die. <laughs> and so Joshua was trying to warn them, hey, you're not going to have anybody. You're not going to have anybody to stand between you and God anymore. Look down at verse um, 23. He said, then put away the foreign gods that are among you and incline your heart to the Lord, the God of Israel. He's saying, look, you're going to have to go to this God on your own now. I'm not going to be here anymore. And these people, again, jump down to verse uh, 31. These people had never known a relationship with God, without someone there in between them and God. And that actually benefited them for a long time, even after Joshua died. It says, Israel served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua and had known all the work that the Lord did for Israel. So even the elders that outlived Joshua were able to kind of keep things on track. But then if you go into the book of Judges, which in my Bible is next, Things don't go so well. In fact, the story arc of Judges is like this. The repeated refrain in that book is that everyone did what was right in their own eyes. And Joshua knows that this is coming. He knows that when he is removed, there's longer going to be someone in between them and God. And these people are going to tank. Jump back to verse 22. Right after the people said, no, but we will serve the Lord. Joshua says to the people, well, you are witnesses against yourselves that you have chosen to serve him. And they said, we are witnesses. Jump down to verse 24. And the people said to Joshua, the Lord, our God, we will serve and his voice we will obey. So Joshua made a covenant that could actually be translated cut a covenant which means that literally an animal was killed here and sacrificed. He made a covenant with the people that day and put in place statutes and rules for them at Shechem. And Joshua wrote these words in the book of the law of God. And he took a large stone and set it up there under the terebinth that was by the sanctuary of the Lord. And Joshua said to all the people, behold, this stone shall be a witness against us 
for it has heard all the words of the Lord that he spoke to us. Therefore, it shall be a witness against you, lest you deal falsely with your God. So Joshua sent the people away, every man to his inheritance. And a hundred years from that day, and probably the next day, that stone was shouting, guilty, guilty. If that stone ever came to the witness stand, it would have nothing to say, but no, they did not serve you with their whole heart. You see, what we need, friends, is we need someone to stand between us and God. And we need somebody who won't die. We need somebody who will live forever and stand between us and God. We need somebody who knows our weakness and our sorrow because he experienced it himself. And then we need somebody to represent us and to serve him and fear him in all sincerity and faithfulness because we cannot do it. But then we need somebody to experience God turning and doing them harm to pay the penalty for our sin. And that person is the true Joshua, the one who is with us in the desert of this life. The one who is going to lead all of us by faith into the promised land where we will know nothing but the joy of the Lord. He dies in our place. He pays the penalty that we all deserve because none of us can surrender all to Jesus. And then he comes and by his spirit lives inside us. And reminds us of all the grace that God has shown us reminds us through his word and his spirit and this church of all of our obligations to him. And that's how it's possible, right? For people who aren't able to serve him, to be able to stand before this holy God that cannot forgive our sins because we stand with Jesus in between us. Because he's one of us, he represents us, but yet he's also God. And so he also represents God. And the charge that I want us all to hear this morning is that you need Jesus. You need him. You need to cling to him every day by faith. Receive all of his grace that he has given you. Receive this church every Sunday as the gospel is preached. Receive the sacraments every time you get to taste and eat and know that God is good. Receive the pure preaching of the word. Remind yourselves and each other over and over and over again that Jesus is your only hope and that you cannot live a day without him. And that every day when you resolve to yourself that you're going to choose this day whom you're going to serve, do it in Christ. Because on your own, you're not able to serve this God. But through him and through his spirit work in you more and more, you can become like him. John chapter 15. Jesus picks up this theme that we're unable to serve this God. And he says this, abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. For apart from me, you can do nothing. So this isn't a charge this morning to go out and serve the Lord in your own strength. Because you can't. This is a charge morning to receive the grace of God that comes to you 
through the new covenant. Because Jesus fulfilled that old one. He met all the requirements and he suffered all the penalty so that he could give us a new covenant in his blood where in him and through him we have access to the Father by faith alone, simply by knowing and accepting and resting in all that Christ has done for us. Let's pray. Father, I pray that each and every one of us would look to Christ, the true Joshua, and recognize that he stands between us and the Father. He is the one who mediates a perfect relationship between us and God. So we can incline our heart to you, Lord, in sincerity and in truth and be forgiven for our inability and at the same time made able by your spirit to serve you. I pray, God, that you would move and continue to move in a powerful way through Escalon Christian Reformed Church. That the gospel would be beautiful because of this place. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.